When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 241 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins fell to the Montreal Canadiens last night in Montreal. Let's waste no time and get right to our opening shifts. Well, they lost, so the sky's falling. Uh, obviously, Bostonians, fans, and analysts alike looking for, for negatives, and I thought Seems like the Heat kind of got turned up on two players in particular who offensively, stat-wise, are way off from where they were last year, and that's Jake DeBrusque and Hampus Lindholm. I uh, wrote about them for WEI.com for a column on Sunday. Um, trying to dive into, you know, how they're doing and how much of this is bad play versus bad luck versus situational changes. So we can get into some of that and, you know, definitely interested in what you guys think of their play. But, uh, you know, it's, it is interesting, though, how, like, they lose and people immediately want to kind of point the fingers at those two because they're the ones who, whose numbers are down, even though, in my opinion, they were doing things to help the Bruins win games, even though they weren't scoring points. So lots lots to get into with those two. Yes. And, Scott, is that what you got into on Twitter? I missed your Twitter rant. So, I mean, I I just tweeted my opinion on Jake DeBrus, which is that which which we'll get into. But yeah, there <laughs> there's a certain other reporter who clearly just teaser. Go check out Scott's uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> you want to know the Scott drama? As as, as Wes McCauley would say, Scott McLaughlin got five minutes for fighting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll, on get Twitter. Back, we'll get back around to Scott's Twitter fight about Jake DeBrusk and Hampus Lindholm. Um, my opening shift is has to do with the defensive pairing of uh, McAvoy and Lorai because we hadn't seen them uh, together yet, McAvoy coming back for the first game after being suspended. Um, and just first thoughts on the Lorai-McAvoy pairing, I it's not as smooth a pairing as McAvoy with Grizzlick, but obviously Grizzlick's still out for a while. So you have to throw someone there. You, you want to keep Carlo and Lynn home together. Um, no Shattenkirk in today's game either. So Forbert Mitchell, the bottom pairing. And though I didn't think it was the, the smoothest looking pair yet, I think that there's a lot that they could um, do together if they get on the same page. McAvoy, I thought had some really moments where he offensively was showing off his skill set. Lorai just needs to figure out a way to play with him a little bit better. I, I didn't think they were a bad pair. It was our first look at them. So I want to get you guys' opinion about it after Brian gives his opening shift. Yeah, we will definitely do that. For me, obviously, we touched on it a little bit at the end of last episode. We couldn't really think of uh, any Bruins who were down. So I kind of just, I don't know, I reached into my back pocket and was like, you know what? The Montreal Canadiens are down. Um, and the Bruins rivalry with them is down. And um, yeah, I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive, not, not a Scott McLaughlin deep dive, but like a little Brian deep dive. I wasn't the deep end. I was just, you know, on the steps in the shallow one, but um, I saw that in the last 20 games, the Bruins were 17, two and one versus Montreal dating back to 
February of 17, outscoring them 76 to 38 in the process. So obviously two to one. And so it's just been a time where the Bruins have been up. Montreal has been down and, and you've, you felt it combine that with COVID pandemic in the middle, different division alignments here and there. And it, it just hasn't felt like they've had obviously the, the rivalry that we all know and love. So I think that obviously I think last night was a good step in the right direction again. Um, there were some, there was some questionable officiating. Um, the, the Montreal crowd was olaying again for the first time against Boston in what felt like 10 years. So, and obviously Montreal gets the win in overtime. So, um, yeah, we'll dive into where we think the temperature check is on this, on this, this rivalry. Yeah. I mean, if we want to start there, like clearly there was a little bit of juice and things kind of reached a boiling point when, uh, you know, Gallagher kind of went in hard on Swayman and Swayman goes back at Gallagher and tries ripping his helmet off. Gallagher does rip Swayman's helmet off. Um, Swayman stands up and like throws his arms out, looking down at Sam Montembeau at the other end of the ice. Like, Hey, like if you want to go come down here or whatever, but uh, obviously it didn't, nothing boiled over too, too much. Like there weren't, it wasn't like a line brawl or anything like that, but yeah, there did seem to be a, a little juice there. And for, you know, first matchup of the season, that that's encouraging. Gives you some reason to hope that uh, future meetings this season will will be a little testy. And, and that's a good thing. And we talked about how, you know, Montreal is, you know, I still don't think they're ready like, to be a playoff team again, but they're clearly finally like on an upward trajectory and working their way back where for a few years – um, you know, they've really just been down and it's been hard to see like how they get back other than what, what's crazy about like this time from your time about Brian is that the Canadians did make a run to the Stanley cup final in the middle of all that. Um, that, is true. that they, it was just the year that they didn't play the Bruins at all because of the COVID, uh, you know, reshuffling of all the divisions and all that stuff. So it's like, in in terms of the rivalry, it's like that year didn't even happen or mean anything at all. So um but yeah good, good start this i mean if there's a goalie fight then the rivalry is officially renewed like if if that ended up with swayman fighting montembeau then that you could have just called it yep it's back uh and swayman swayman seemed to want it swayman i think swayman wants to have like all of the goalie experiences like a bucket list for his nhl career like he wants to have a goal like uh all marked last year he wants to have a goalie fight <laughs> he wants, there's a few things that he's got on there and he was like saw his opportunities like maybe today's the day guys <laughs> um but i will say please wait till me and scott are there uh, we didn't make the trip to Montreal this time. Maybe we'll make it in March. Um, just wait till we're there, okay? I, I did think that that was – and that was kind of late in the third period. There was also another scrum a little bit after that in front of the Montreal net that had a lot of juice to it. There was some Montreal players laying massive checks. Mason Lorai took a huge check by uh, Pizzetta, and it was kind of one of those things where it was like, okay, in the NHL, you can't just watch your pass. Like you have to turn and look and expect in the corner, someone's coming in, especially someone like Pizzetta coming in hard on you like that. So he kind of learned a lesson there. There was a lot of physicality, but I, I do think that Montreal won that battle. I, I didn't see the Bruins playing as physical as the Canadians. So they had a little bit of an edge there, I thought. And usually you would expect the Bruins to have that edge over the past few years they have. Yeah, I think... I, I would say you're right, Bridget, but also I wouldn't say the Bruins have been an overly physical team the last handful of years. I'm not saying they're any less physical than most teams, um, but maybe it's the way the league's changing. I don't know, but the the big bad Bruins aren't really who we watch anymore. It hasn't been for a while. I more meant just I more just meant in that rivalry, like in that specific matchup between Bruins and Canadians. Um the Bruins kind of I mean maybe I'm wrong. No 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 <laughs> no 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 spe no specifically to that rivalry you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. I think um yeah I mean I think Montreal has some boys that like to throw the weight around. You have Jack Eye and um Pizzetta like you mentioned Gallagher gets in there. Um yeah and and obviously the Bruins have been without Milan Lucic who's 
you know, he's their muscle and he's their tone setter physically. And I think he would have thrived in a game like that. And um, maybe he'll be in the lineup. I think they play Montreal again next week or the week after, right? Maybe, maybe um, he can help Bruins in that department um, this year. Obviously, going forward, I think Montreal has some 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 players locked up longer term than the Bruins do with Lucic. So obviously, that the Bruins have Frederick, but um, yeah, it seems like it's a pretty pretty balanced uh, rivalry as it, as it pertains to to size and physicality. And and maybe Montreal does have the edge right now, which is inter- interesting to say. Yeah, it's the yeah. next six days from now. I think that November eighteenth at Boston. Yeah, yeah Saturday. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would throw Slifkovsky in there as another guy who, especially Saturday, had a pretty physical game. Um, you know, obviously he's a bigger player and sort of had a little bit of like that power forward um, trajectory when he was drafted number one overall. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend I've watched like a ton of him the last year or so, but you do kind of wonder like with someone who's like a number one pick, does he – how does he use that size? And at least in this game, I thought he was pretty physical. So he's obviously someone who's, who's going to be there a long time. Yeah. Brian, you're right. That like Lucci is just someone on the Bruins side who could really ramp it up and get involved. And he'd be another player who would be getting booed in Montreal. Like, like Marshan was, you know, guys who actually do have a connection to the last time this rivalry was really heated. Um, I also thought, you know, maybe you had a couple guys on the Bruins who, because of specific situations, might not have been as physical as usual. Like McAvoy, first game back from suspension, you, you figure he's going to play things a little cautious and not not get himself worked up too much and risk, like, stepping up to the line or crossing it again. Jacob Lauko, we know he can be physical, but it's his first game back and he's – wearing a full cage like beyond just maybe him feeling things out in his first game back guys wearing full cages also don't really mix things up because obviously you can't fight and Loco normally is someone who will stand up for himself and fight his own fights but you, you can't do that in a cage like you I think I think it's literally like an extra penalty if you try to fight with a cage so um yeah some some extenuating circumstances there too on the Bruins side but I will say, as it pertains to Jeremy Swayman, I think I understand, and we, we've talked about it at nauseum, and I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. But I get right now for the Bruins, it's it's Allmark and it's Swayman and it's Bonnie and Clyde, and they're they're, they're the partnership right now. But I do think, obviously, Jeremy Swayman is the goalie of the future for the Bruins. He's the goalie of the present with Allmark, but he's certainly the goalie of the future. And I just... I just love his his character. I, I think he he exudes confidence he has since he came up to Boston. Um, and he just he owns the net. Like he's playing like one of the best goalies in the world. He probably is legitimately one of the best goalies in the world. And of course, like you mentioned, he just like he's just throwing down the gauntlet yesterday, just staring across the ice, uh, challenging Montreal's goalie. You know, kind of engaging Gallagher in the first place. Like Swayman knew what he was doing. Like it wasn't Gallagher wasn't totally, you know, in the wrong there. Like Swayman was playing tummy sticks with him too a little bit. And then, you know, you just watch Gallagher get in Swayman's face, and Swayman's just like acting like he's not even there, just staring straight through him still at, at Montembeau. So, um, I just think that obviously Boston fell in love with Tim Thomas. Tuka Rask was very polarizing. Has the best statistics in in the franchise's history but people didn't necessarily love his demeanor or some of the big game moments that he may have faltered in. But I just see Boston falling in love with Swayman, both between the pipes statistically and in his personality. Now, if he ever has some severe struggles for a long period of time, I'm sure Boston fans will forget how much they love him right now. But I just think he's, I just think he's an awesome um, personality and a, and a great player, obviously. He comes up in my circles all the time because I'm around the college hockey game a lot. And a lot of the times he'll come up in my broadcast because if we're talking about how good Victor Osman's doing at Maine this year uh, as their netminder, it's like, okay, we're ta- we're making comparisons to Jeremy Swayman. Like he comes up a lot. He's liked in New England. He was liked since he was a college player. Um, he has a very likable personality. So that all helps him. And then when you see him just 
fully leaning in to wanting to have that intensity and that rivalry against the Canadians and just in general, the intensity that he brings, he's somebody that fans trust to always give it his all and have the right attitude. So um, just a combination of a lot of things for him that has, have made him a, a crowd favorite for sure. Um, did you have, did you guys have anything else you wanted to say about Swayman or the rivalry? Uh, well, first off, yeah. How about the main black bears officially back this season? Um, yeah, might, I had, a, I had be... an interesting conversation about Jim Montgomery actually the other day, because Jim Montgomery was the captain of the team when Maine won the national title. And so, uh, one of the broadcasters I was talking to from Northeastern, who's been around for a long time and was around for that, that team, uh, said that Jim Montgomery played the entire third period in the national championship game. Like he said, that's probably the most time on ice I've ever seen from any college hockey player. And he was saying Jim Montgomery used to get so much ice time up at Maine. So him and Swayman have that connection too. Yeah. You, I think you, you can watch like that third period. Cause I think he had a hat trick in the third period of the national title game. You, you can watch like, there's a lot of highlights of that main team on YouTube and it's just fun to watch them, like him and Paul Correa. It's crazy. But anyways, um, yeah, on, on Swayman, like, Brian, that's a good point, too, about how, like, he can kind of win the – without even really trying to, but just because of who he is, like, win the, the PR war and, like, win over fans. Because, you know, I know you brought this up in the spring, and certainly other people did, but, like, Sometimes the way Allmark talks after a game, like or like especially after a loss, it does give off some of those Tuca vibes of like how much does he like he doesn't really seem bothered, and it's like sometimes you kind of want a goalie to seem bothered. And Swayman, I think, does like like he, when he loses, even last night in overtime, it's like this is unacceptable, and you know we want to get two points every night and. You know, to me personally, like, I don't really care about that. I just, just think goalies are weird, and sometimes they say and say weird things and act weirdly. But um, I do definitely think, like, Boston fans, you know, fall more for Swayman's approach when it comes to something like that. And, uh, you know, th this was the first game of the season that Swayman's given up more than two goals. And I would say two of them certainly not his fault. One's uh a def, you know a screen that he had no chance of seeing the one in overtime is a defensive breakdown and scramble and the puck pops out and it's just desperation time at that point maybe the Gallagher goal he you know should have had better rebound control but I don't know if he totally saw that one either he he said after the game he thought it was stoppable so I'll take his word for it but um that I mean there was certainly a screen on that one as well. So yeah, I, I just I just think Swayman is such a gamer. And I remember last year thinking that in defeat in game seven because um obviously Allmark got the start in the first six games of the series. Right? I'm not wrong about that. It's been a little bit, but right. Yeah, Swayman yes. only played like five minutes when he came into one of the games. I think it was like game five or something. Um, okay. But yeah, Swayman only got to start in game seven. And he mentions this like very often. He he brings it up. And he's like, I never want to be in the net for a game seven loss ever again. It's never <laughs> going to happen again. Well, in, well, just to jump in there, he also said the same thing after Carolina the year before. So, you know, True. Two, two, well, two years in a row, he's, he said it, so. But like to to analyze the personality difference because we actually get to see it. Um, I think Allmark just has no ability to turn off his sarcasm. Like he is sarcastic a hundred percent of the time, and it just doesn't come across the same in a post game interview when you're when you lost, especially in the playoffs. So it's like there's a time and a place for it, but I'm not sure he necessarily has an off switch on the sarcasm. So then you get those kind of like dismissive nonchalant answers that drive fans crazy. Um, and that's just a result of his just yeah. overall personality, I think is very different. Well, I, I just remember last year, like after the game five loss with the mishap between Grizzly behind the net, somebody, somebody asked him like how he was feeling, whatever. And he's just like, fine. Thank you. Like, 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 like he didn't know why they were asking. And, and he was, he's trying to give off this, this perception that like he's unfazed regardless, but it's like, well, 
obviously you're pissed. You're just trying to play a game with the media. And, I don't but, think he was. That's what I've, I've actually thought back to that comment a lot, uh, like ever since it happened. And I, I honestly like it's come to I've come to kind of like think maybe it's less that he was trying to be a pain in the ass and give like a, an annoying answer and more that he just thinks it's funny. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you're making jokes in that moment. That it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna like make a joke and move on. Like, yeah. some people every I time don't... they're uncomfortable, they make a joke. That's a great time to make a yeah. joke. I mean, I I didn't really think that. Like, I I think he, I think he's just legitimately not bothered. Like, I think in his mind, it's that happened. There's nothing I can do about it. Like, I'm I'm moving on, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell on it in my post game interview. I'm not gonna start throwing things around like that yeah, but there's also a way to go there's also a way to say i don't i it's i want to put it behind me like that there's rather than fine thanks and yeah, then smile like you know yeah. what I mean? there's a difference between the tone i mean if you if you think that he wasn't driving home that night you know wanted to you know drive through a brick wall he was obviously fuming but he didn't you know but regardless the um all all i wanted in that moment was yeah, I made a mistake and, and, you know, we'll be better. But he just kind of like didn't even acknowledge it. But the reason I brought it up in the first place wasn't for the Allmark reaction. It was because in that game seven, it was a very difficult moment for for, for Jeremy Swayman to, to come into a series first game starting game seven. And yeah, the Bruins went down two to nothing. But I don't know if you guys remember, and obviously you do because you were there, but that was probably some of the worst 40 minutes of hockey I've seen the Bruins play in in years 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 they couldn't make a pass the reason that the game wasn't six nothing after two was because of jeremy swayman so he's just a gamer i think he's an awesome player and um he just kind of helped play a role in, in igniting any sort of 2023 bruins canadians rivalry spark by the way on swayman we didn't touch on this in the last pod but i think it was after it was after one of the bruins recent games and i was watching one of the late games on ESPN plus and Kevin weeks between periods said that if he was the Oilers, Jeremy Swayman would be the apple of his eye. So he's trying to push this, like, you know, obviously butcher grass started the, the Allmark thing. And now Kevin weeks is in my mind, like aiming even higher and thinks they should go off to Swayman to which, to which I would say, good luck. Like I don't, I can't imagine you going far with the Bruins on that unless, unless you're putting Leon Dreisaitl on the table in, I don't I'm not going to say one for one because it would take more than that from the Bruins end, but like much closer to like, you can take Patra and the first round pick off the table. If that's what you're talking about, not to sidetrack and get to a whole other big trade discussion, but I did, I did, I just did think it, it was interesting to hear Kevin Weeks say that on, you know, a national broadcast. He's trying to will it into existence <laughs> um, for for the Oilers who now have a new head coach. So uh, that's how bad the season has started out for them. Uh, do you guys want to get to either my opening shift or um, Scott's? So um, Scott's was about DeBrusque and mine was about the defense and specifically the McAvoy Lorai pair. Scott, do you want to tell us about your um your strong opinions about the Rusk? Well, so like I said, I you know, so on DeBrusque, this started. Well, I don't want to say start because obviously DeBrusque has come under some criticism, you know, from a lot of people this season because his point totals are way down. He has one goal, four assists, and fourteen games. Um, but Kevin Paul Dupont of the Boston Globe tweeted during last night's game dun, dun, dun. that that those point totals are unacceptable are unacceptable so he didn't he didn't directly say that like debrusque's play is unacceptable but just sort of like vaguely said like unacceptable um and i didn't even tweet back at him but like i just wanted to make a point that because i was already i like i'd already dived into a bunch of sorry dove into a bunch of stuff on, on DeBrusque because I was planning to write about him anyways. And like when you boil it down, it's like the biggest differences between last season and this season for him statistically are his shooting percentage is way down. It's 3.4% this year. His career average is 12.6. Uh, 
And he's getting a lot less power play time, basically half of what he got last year because he went from first unit to second unit. And obviously he's not playing on a line with Bergeron and Marchand and has been bouncing all around. So everything else for DeBrusque is pretty close to being in line with where he was last year in terms of like five on five chances, scoring chances, high danger chances, all that stuff. He's actually at five on five assisting on goals at a higher rate. Um, And I thought Saturday was another game where, yeah, he he ends up with one shot on goal. So if you just look at the box score, you say, oh, he didn't do anything. All right. But he also hit a post, which isn't a shot on goal. And he sprung both David Pasternak and Danton Heinen on odd man rushes that they couldn't finish. That could have easily been two assists. Like I thought, I thought the Bruins as a team struggled to create a lot of offense Saturday night. To me, he was one of the few guys doing it. So I'm not, I guess my point is like, I'm just not overly concerned about DeBrusque because I do think he's still playing the right way. I think he's still doing good things. Um, when he's on the ice, he he has the best expected goals for percentage on the team, which is basically just a measurement of like how many good things versus how many bad things are happening when you're on the ice. And there are a lot more good things than bad things happening. He's plus five at five on five. Like I I just think the goals are gonna start coming because he's not gonna shoot 3.4% for the season. Yep. And by the way, just to specifically talk about the Montreal game. He, ha- I thought he had a really good game. I mean, he he was setting up offense, like you mentioned. That that shot off the post was so close to going in, and that was a snipe. That was a, a nice wrist shot that you could just see. All right, those are the the kind of plays you want him to be shooting, and he is. So, um, I agree with you there. I, I, thinking back on the entire season so far, there's very few times where I can think, oh, you know, Jake wasn't trying hard or he wasn't, you know, doing the right thing. Like he has been doing a lot of the right things. Um, and he's been moved around to have different line mates and, and different things like that. So the situation is different than it was last year for him um, playing on the first line. So he's going to have different numbers than he had last year. A lot of guys had career years last year. They're not going to have that this year more than likely because of the, just the way that the situation worked out with, Bergeron and Krejci retiring and the team having, you know, to make some tough decisions because of the cap. So uh, different there. And I'm look. I, I was scrolling through the Twitter and to find, <laughs> to find the contention here. And so basically your, your counter to aforementioned writer was that a lot of it is coming down to luck and you like you wrote in your article thing all of the statistics that point to that um and i guess it's just a disagreement that it it's actually him playing poorly versus things just not rolling his way and i guess like leave a comment on our youtube if you agree with scott or if you agree with said other reporter <laughs> uh is i mean you can use his name like <laughs> i just i'm it's not my feud scott I, what is it who, 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 who is it Voldemort? can't speak his name <laughs> yeah like his deputy his deputies aren't gonna attack the podcast if you oh, say goodness. kevin paul dupont like <laughs> he doesn't doesn't have a trace on people using his name like it's okay what i'm trying to say is i'm an angel and i have no feuds on the ninth floor but i've scott sometimes he's poking he's like i'm determined to change that by the end of the season i'm I'm getting you're gonna start a feud with me and someone okay and i don't even have a a ninth floor presence so i don't care I have no horse in the race. You, every, every maybe like twice a year, Bridget and Scott will look down. They'll, Scott will drop some popcorn from the ninth floor and it'll land on my head. But hey, Brian's <laughs> at the game. And that's the, only, that's the only time you guys know I'm there. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm an angel. And also, I don't get into feuds because I don't like Twitter and I don't use Twitter. So I keep myself out of trouble. Scotty's the troublemaker. Well, Bridget, what's the uh, what would the poll question be? Or not poll question. What would the question be? The headline question be for commenters to know if they agree with Scott or not. Has is Jake DeBrusque not obviously he, objectively he's underperforming production wise. So Dude, what's the, what's the question? Um, probably just are are you worried about Jake DeBrusque? Like 
Or or do you think he's playing poorly? Something like that. Okay. So with that said, I would I would ask you guys this. Um because Scott, what you're saying is essentially it's just a lot. He's doing all the right things. He's just doing everything but scoring. So the production's not there. Got it, right? It's a matter of time. My question to you and to Bridget would be uh, if this continues for X amount of time, would you then say, all right, the analytics might still be in his favor, but it is a results-driven business, and the fact of the matter is it's been too long of him just not producing the way he should. What what's that what's that milestone for you? Like if he's still severely underproducing, call it by like January or something. Yeah, I mean I it's hard to answer because like I I think one of two things like what he's doing now that's just not going to sustain that long. Like he's not going to get the chances he's getting and continue to shoot at such a low percentage. What, so I would say like long before we get to January, either he gets going and shots start going in, or if this continues and he's doing the right things and he's getting chances and they're not going in, I think at some point, like it affects other parts of his game like that. We've seen that with DeBrus before. I haven't, I have not seen that yet this season, but I also think that's almost natural for any player. If it, if you're talking, if like a shooting slump lingers a month, two months, two, three months, like I think almost anyone starts pressing and has it affect other parts of their game. So I, I, I think it like it would come to a head before then, where it, it would be like something ha- like he needs to be sat down, or someone talks to him, or whatever, because now he's letting the now he's letting the lack of point production affect his defense and his two way game and his forecheck and the way he sets up teammates and his penalty killing, like. I think it would start to affect that that other stuff long before like mid season. Um, if, if it doesn't, then honestly, like credit to him if he can keep doing all that stuff while still not getting points. But um, yeah, I mean, look, obviously, part of his job is to score, and that does have to happen at some point. So yes, if it continues for like another month, then the conversation becomes tougher and it becomes harder to just dismiss it as, as bad luck, which I want to make clear, like, like I'm not totally dismissing it as bad luck. I, I, I just think, I think that's a big part of it, but I also think like moving around the lineup, not having Bergeron as a center, not being on the first power play. Like I think all that stuff affects the production too. And it's not excuses. Like it's just the reality of a situation. It's not as stable as it was last year, but it is on him to figure out how to produce despite that. So like, yeah, he, he still has to do more. Like I'm not totally letting him off the hook. I'm just saying like, I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, even if he doesn't score 27 goals and 50 points again, he's going to put up more points than what he is right now. And I think the word that set you off was unacceptable, probably because I would not call his play unacceptable so far. Um, he is not, it's not like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like this isn't back when fans were, you know, upset with him and, and he was kind of slumping in on the third line back when he had his trade request, like definitely different. Like he's definitely looks like he's trying and, and I don't see him being kept off the board as much as he has been. Um, as things go forward, if he's playing the way he does. So then Scott, did you feel the same way about Lindholm as well? Well, just before we go to Lindholm, I just want to ask you guys quickly. um, Would you guys say based on talent and experience alone that Jake should be driving offense alone on a line? Like I know you guys have mentioned he's bouncing around and there's, 
lack of chemistry and he's there's a lack of consistency with his line mates. But would you say, based on his skill set and the fact that he's 27 years old, that it's fair to expect him to um, obviously look the first take the first month aside. Let's talk about going forward, right? Going forward, should we expect him to be somebody who's capable of driving a line? I, I think so. I don't think he's. I don't see him as the type of player who is like by far the best player on his line and drives it, but he has to help do that. Like he has to do it for certain games and he has to be the best player on a number of shifts every game. Like that's totally fair. And I like, I think we've seen him do that. I mean, so a lot of the response that I got to the article I wrote on Sunday was like, well, he doesn't have, he's not with Bergeron and Marchand and he needed those two to lift him up. And obviously it helps playing with those two, but I think that's a little unfair and dismissive of how good DeBrusque himself was last year, because I thought there were times when at five on five, not talking about every situation, but I thought there were times last year at five on five that he was the best player on that line. Like, Bergeron and Marchand did not have the best five on five seasons of their careers, at least offensively. Obviously, Bergeron's defense was still out of this world, but their five on five offensive production dipped for both of them. Um, so I, I also like, don't think it's fair to just say, like, well, he depended on having Bergeron and Marchand, and now he doesn't have them. So he's back to, you know, the player he was two years ago when Cassidy was healthy scratching him. Like, that's. I don't think that's what's happening. Like as Bridget said, like this to me is different. This is, does not look like the the same player because that that DeBrusque, it was easy to see him like miss defensive assignments or let up on the forecheck and not be aggressive. Like you could see those things. And and Bruce Cassidy benched him as a result. Jim Montgomery, not only is he not benching DeBrusque, he's giving him the fourth most minutes of any forward on the team. He played 19 and a half minutes Saturday night in Montreal. Like he's still getting a lot of ice time. So, you know, if Montgomery thought he was playing poorly, that obviously wouldn't be happening. I yes, I agree to not go on too long about this. Just, uh, just get, you know, just give your two cents on Twitter. Hashtag team Scott. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, if you Scott had anything similar to say about Lindholm, I feel like the situation with Lindholm is different actually than the situation with DeBrusque. I think oh, we have noticed differences between Lindholm's game last year and this year that would indicate a step back uh, for Lindholm, whereas DeBrusque seems to like the eye test tells us DeBrusque is the same player he was last year. Lindholm and Brian in particular has kind of keyed in at times. Don't give me that face, Brian. Um, that, and it's probably because such a he had such a good start to last season. The bar was kind of high, and then he's underperformed a little bit this year. So, um, just thoughts on that uh, from both of you. Is it the same situation as DeBrusque, or is there more blame to go on Lindholm? Yeah, I I don't think it's exactly. The, I don't think it's really the same. Um, and obviously, the, the reason Lindholm kind of gets into the crosses after Saturday is he's. Probably, you know, he's most at fault on the game-winning goal. Uh, Josh Anderson sort of just walks right around him one-on-one, which is a tough look because Josh Anderson is not the most skilled forward in the world. Um, And that's, you know, a player Lindholm should be able to defend one-on-one. You know, with Lindholm, like, I think the eye test tells you this and the numbers back it up, like, he is legitimately less involved offensively. It's not just a matter of luck. Like he's, he's taking fewer shots. He's getting fewer scoring chances. And I think like most alarmingly, he's getting his shot through way less. Um, NHL and, and hockey reference, both track like shot through percentage, basically your percentage of shot attempts that end up on net. And last year was over 50% around 53 He's over 50% for his career. This year he's at 36% of his shot attempts are getting through on goals. So that's obviously a problem. Like not only are you taking away 
your chances of scoring a goal if you're not getting your shot through, but you're taking away your chances of getting an assist on a deflection, a rebound, making something happen. If you, if your shot just misses the net, like there's nothing anyone can do with it. So. Also, when you're taking shots from the point, like if your shot gets blocked right in front of you, you're losing that blue line battle and you're going to have to be defending. Like you're going right from offense to defense on a block shot that bounces back into the neutral zone and and you can end up, you know, not saying that that's happened a lot, but that is one of the dangers of not getting your shot through from the point. Sorry, I was trying to um I was trying to pull up the the game winning goal um to send to you guys because the it's alarming to me that Lindholm, who is look obviously last year, I don't think he's what do you finish fourth in Norris voting? Obviously, I don't think he's that that good of a defenseman uh, in the league, right? I mean, he's not a top five defenseman in my opinion, uh, or in the opinion of pretty much anybody. That said. When you're somebody who had a year like that and is capable of being a whatever, would you call him a top 20 defenseman in the NHL when he's on his game? He should be. Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if you have the potential to be a top 20 defenseman in the NHL, the best league in the world, why are you defending Josh Anderson one-on-one with two hands on your stick on the right side of your body? And then on the left side of your body, it's, it's literally, it's, you're you are taught from five years old from when you can skate if you're playing defense you keep you keep your stick you know one hand on and you keep it dead straight between your the the forwards legs coming at you You try to keep them in front of you keep your chest square as 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 much as you can until you have to start making a commitment one way or the other um i mean that 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 i just have no idea what he was doing on that goal it it, quite frankly and i don't want to you know, assess his whole season so far on one play, right? But that play last night was unacceptable defense from a guy of his caliber. I have no idea what he was doing. And uh, Scott mentioned Anderson's not like, trust me, he's not the, he's not, he's not a very shifty skater. He's probably 6'5", Lindholm is 6'5". Those are two big boys to, to get twisted like that. Like it's like Connor McDavid coming down on you. It's just unacceptable. Just terrible, terrible stick positioning and, and, but anyway, aside from that play, um, you look, you see a lot of people that cover the team that mention as Scott's – well, I don't know if Scott said this exactly, but Lindholm's getting a lot of defensive uh, zone face-offs and assignments, and he's not he's not getting power play time like you guys mentioned. So there are, there are logistical reasons why the offense isn't there right now compared to last year where he was on the first power play unit in, in, in the absence of McAvoy, he was getting all those meaningful minutes on both sides of the puck. Still, he has to be better. And somebody can sit there and, and give me the analytics all they want about how he's been great defensively, or at least, you know, above average. And that's great, but you're, you gotta be, a, you, you gotta be a difference maker when you're a player of that caliber, you have to be a difference maker. There are some players that can get away with just doing their job and then there are other players that need to do their job and then some and he's one of those and then some players in my opinion uh the silver lining is i would much rather him play the best hockey in the spring as opposed to right now because last year he played stellar this time of year and did not have a great spring so i don't want to fall into the trap of over assessing every 10 game segment for each player um, I would say that there's a lot of season left and, and there's a lot of time for these guys to improve and you want them playing their best hockey months from now. But right now, he just hasn't been good enough for my liking. Yeah, and, you know, the like the fact that Montgomery uses him and Carlo as a shutdown pairing is relevant, obviously. Like, they're seeing the majority of opponents' top lines. Lindholm is starting more shifts in the defensive zone this season than he has any other season in his career. Those are factors, but, you know, I mean, look, he's, he's on pace for like 12 points right now. Like that's, that's going to be unacceptable no, no matter what, like that you still have to be more involved offensively, even if he's not a 50 point guy, even though he had 50 points last year, like I never expect him to get back to that, but he has pretty consistently been around 30 or so throughout his career. And, you know, I don't think there's any reason why he can't be in that neighborhood. And obviously right now 
he's got two through 14 games. So he's, he's way off the pace. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, again, like if you dive into some of the analytics, like he, so he's a minus one in traditional plus minus. He is actually a plus three at five on five, which is important to note because, you know, plus minus isn't just five on five. It's also four on four and shorthanded goals against and extra attacker and empty net situations and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, really, no matter how you slice it, like, they're going to need him to be more involved offensively. They, one of we've talked about things that Montgomery made a point of emphasis. He said he wanted defensemen even more involved offensively this season, um, especially in the offensive zone in terms of using the point defensemen, getting their shots through, moving down the boards more, getting lower in the zone. Lindholm hasn't really been doing that. Now, as much as you can want to sit there and say like well, because he starts in the D zone, maybe there's less opportunity to do that, but it's not like they're spending all their whole shift in the D zone. Like they're still spending a lot of time in the offensive zone because they're doing such a good job defensively getting out of the zone. So he's still getting opportunities down there and has to be better when he is down there. Like, you know, as we highlighted with like not getting shots through, it's like, that's, that's fixable. That's something he should be able to improve. So you can start there, but there's obviously so many other parts to it but um yeah so it's it's a little different from DeBrusque I would still say in my mind overall he's not I can't say he's hurting the team like he's he's still a plus player the like expected goals and scoring chances and all that are still in the positive but he can should be making more of an impact than than he has just the one last thing I'll say about Lindholm is that he has the opportunity to get involved in the offense more. He has the luxury of being able to do that on a pair with Carlo. Carlo is a guy you can trust back at the point if you want to rotate low and try to get involved in the offense a little bit more. Carlo is more of the defensive defenseman on that line. So Lindholm has to be leaned on for more of the offense there. Um, so he kind of has a luxury that a lot of guys in the NHL don't have where his partner is just so good uh, defensively in that you're not looking to Carlo for all, for that kind of offense. So it has to be Lindholm. Can you guys answer a question for me? I just am blanking for some reason because last year the Bruins not only started the season without McAvoy, but they also started without Grizzly for probably three weeks or so. Obviously you had Lindholm and Carlo, but I don't think they were together in Forbert. You had Lindholm, Carlo, Forbert, Zaboral. Who, who, who rounded up their top six to start last year? Lindholm was playing a lot with Clifton early on. Oh, Clifton. I forgot. About and, and, and they were great together. Yeah. That's um, right. Yeah. And, and, but it, it was in, this is part of it too. Is like, that was a more offensive role. Like they were getting more ozone starts and Lindholm was on the top power play unit. And that was obviously when he would, when McAvoy was out, that was when he was the hottest that he was his whole career offensively. Um, and, you know, by the end of the year, he wasn't in, into a similar role as he is now. Like, Lindholm Carlo did become this matchup uh, shutdown pairing last season. And Lindholm's offense, you know, dipped a little bit the second half of the year, but it was still much better than it is now. So it's like, it, it, you can't even say, like, oh, well, you know, even last year, like, he didn't have much offense when they, when he got this role. Like, no, it had dipped from where it was at the start of the year, but it was still better than this. So, like, we, we've seen him do it. You know, it's it's still there somewhere. Who who was the sixth defenseman? You had you had Carlo, Lindholm, Forbert, Zaboral, Clifton. Who would the sixth guy have been while those two guys were out? Why am I blanking on who it was? A, a Sean? No, it wasn't a Sean. Not to derail the podcast, but I'm just like, why can we not? Why can none of us think with the six defensemen ones last year when Grizzly and McAvoy were out? Had to have been somebody down in Providence, right? I don't know. <laughs> we're stumped. Answer on Twitter for us. <laughs> well, no, I have it in my notes, but it's just so far back that I can't. <laughs> like Scott is Scott is going oh. through. No, it was a uh, it was a, a lot of fun. I can't believe you forgot this, but Mike Riley he played early on. Oh, and man. Anton Strahlman got eight games. Oh, remember this, remember right. the Anton Strahlman experience? I thought he was the dark horse for Norris last year when he started. 
That's right. How could I forget Mike Riley and Anton Strawman? Okay. Um, so speaking of defense, Bridget, let's circle all the way back to your opening shift in the Charlie McAvoy, Mason Lorai pairing. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a lot of time left for this, so it can be quick. Um, the Charlie McAvoy, Mason Lorai pairing, which becomes your, I guess your top pairing, uh, you're putting your, your best defenseman with your youngest defenseman. And in theory, that should be a place where Laura can learn and grow. Um, I think there's still chemistry to be had there. I don't think they had a terrible first game together. And they also didn't look like the smoothest pair. And I wanted to get you guys opinion on it too. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, right off the bat, like it looked so promising that first shift. Laura jumps right up into the offense. He's he actually had a chance to shoot in the slot. And like, I was thinking like, Oh, he's, he's got to shoot that almost lose control, but the Bruins get it back. And then McAvoy takes a shot that Zaka tips in. So all worked out very well in the end. Um, but then you didn't, you didn't see as much of that as the game went on. And I thought that there were times where they were stuck in their own zone a little bit. And that's where Laura, you know, obviously needs the most work. I, I didn't see as many like glaring errors from him as we've seen in some other games. So I did think he was playing a little more sound hockey. Um, but yeah, if, if, if those two can get more offensive zone time and, you know, maybe that's a matchup thing. Maybe it's what forward line they're out there with. Maybe it's just where you send them out for faceoffs. Um, I do want to see like what they can do with more ozone time because obviously they're they're two very skilled offensive players who can make things happen not not just for themselves but setting up teammates. So uh, I thought you saw that in like a couple flashes Saturday night, um, but not not as consistently as as you want. I think that McAvoy and Grizzly have a higher floor. I think McAvoy and Laura have a higher ceiling, and I think that. Obviously, there's a lot of work to be done to see that ceiling. I think Lori needs to, and this is a difficult ask, difficult ask, but he needs to play with some of that confidence and swagger. I think he he probably should be. I think maybe he's overthinking just a little bit. He's not trusting his instincts right now. I think he's just trying to not make too many mistakes and and whatnot. So uh, I thought they were good. I, I did like. Bridget, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, Michael Pozzetta kind of tuned up Lori a little bit and, you know, arguably could have been a, an interference call, but lesson learned, don't admire your passes. And what I liked about it was that he hopped right back up and, and you know, got back into the front of the net. But, yeah, I think I think McAvoy was out for a few games. Lori is still learning the ropes. So, yeah, I, I would nothing new than what you guys mentioned. Did, did, by the way, like, did you see Lorai's face on that hit by Pizzetta? One of the Nesson replays, you could kind of see his face, and it was like, and it was sort of like a like, ah, oh, crap, like, can't believe I let that happen type type reaction. Which, again, like you're right, like, hey, at least he he hopped right up and wasn't wasn't hurt and didn't let it happen again. So you know, it's good good response for for a play where yeah, again, like wake up call, gotta gotta be a little more aware there. Uh, somebody else I wanted to ask you guys quickly about Bridget. I know you have to go. Um, any any thoughts on Matthew Patra? A little bit of a quiet, quiet, you know, slate of games here for him. Not going to call it a rookie wall because it's just part of being in the NHL. But do you think he's been making things happen despite uh, some production as of late? I think it's been. I've I, you notice times where he's making really smart plays, but you also kind of feel him going quiet a little bit. I think that um, he's getting played really tightly uh, and he is smaller. I don't, I don't want to say that's the main reason why I think that also he's had, and I actually think this, this line has looked okay against Montreal with Heinen and DeBrusque. So uh, we're, we're still looking at guys that are starting to play together and, um, I do think he's been quiet, like you said, Brian. Uh, what to attribute it to? 
I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but he he still is making some plays. He recovers pretty well um, when pucks are turned over. He was on the ice for the the overtime game-winning goal from Montreal, but I wouldn't say that was his fault. He was kind of caught defending after he had just switched onto the ice. It was kind of a weird line change. Um, he hopped on the ice, and it was during a break the other way by Montreal. So, yeah, I guess your thoughts too. There's there's not been a lot to really talk about with him, negatively or positively, I would say. Yeah, I, I really liked that heinen Patrick debrusque line when they were first put together. I thought – um, you know, I thought, thought they were really good, like out of the gate when, when they first started. And then, yeah, Saturday was a little quieter again, not just for them, but for the whole team offensively. Um, but I like, I like giving that line like a longer run because again, I, I see potential in Potter and DeBrusque sticking together, like for a while, just because, especially if DeBrusque is playing right wing, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's like Zach and Pasternak have chemistry. Okay. That's one center right wing combo. Coyle and Frederick have chemistry. That's another center right wing combo. If Potter and DeBrusque find chemistry, like there you go. Like now like you're pretty much set there and you have three, you know, sort of pairs of centers and wings. That makes a lot of sense. And the underlying numbers when they've been together this season have been, really encouraging like just looking at it they've played um if, if there was like a little over 60 minutes together 62 minutes 65.3 percent expected goals and Bruins have outscored upon three nothing they, they haven't given up a goal when they've been on the ice together so um like there's encouraging signs there and I hope they get a longer run and Montgomery doesn't go shaking everything up just because you know Saturday night was a little quiet um, the one thing, one of the thing I would just add is Montgomery said after the game that he thought his team looked tired and didn't have a lot of energy. And he said, he didn't really think like that should have been the case. He didn't think their schedule was overly taxing, nor do I, but if that is an issue, all right, well, you have two days before your next game in Buffalo. Then you have go Tuesday to Thursday without, a, I mean, Tuesday to Saturday without a game. So there should be plenty of time to recuperate this week and guys, you know, be able to find more energy. And I, I did wonder if maybe part of that was maybe some of the young guys like, like Patra and Laura in particular, you know, did they not hit a wall in terms of the season, right? It's still way too early for that, but hit a little mini wall that just kind of naturally happens in the, in the course of a young player, like getting his first taste. So you mentioned, Scott, the Bruins are off until Tuesday, and then they're off until Saturday. So uh, obviously you're listening to this episode on Monday, and we will have another episode on Wednesday after the Sabres game. Maybe Friday we do a mailbag episode. Maybe we'll um, answer any and all questions um, that you guys have for us regarding the Bruins for the first month plus of the season. Does that sound like a good idea? Mm-hmm. That sounds like a great idea. And me. also, wait, I need people to help me decorate. I have a new room. Wait, I'm going to put myself full screen. I have a new setup, but I don't have anything here. So any suggestions on what I should put in the background? Not that you guys really see it unless I do this giant view of myself, which I'm loving right now. Um, but <laughs> if anyone has any ideas of what I should do with this blank wall, that I just Wait. put together. Um, let me know. Can I can I get a full screen view of Scott real quick? Please. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now we're talking. Wait, Holy what you got smokes. back there, Scott? I see Scott's like Bruins license plate and then some sort of bobblehead, some hats, of course, glass of wine, bottle of wine in the background, some whatever that is. There's like a couple. There's a couple steins up there on top of the refrigerator. Oh, okay. Really see them, see but that. Uh, is that a, yeah. a signed sign Jake DeBrus jersey behind you, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> no, the the Bruins license plate. That's a gift from my uh, real estate agent when I when I bought the place. Oh, okay. and then there's Brian. And then hey, there's Brian. and I'm in. I'm inside of IKEA right now. <laughs> so help. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you were gonna ask people to send you stuff. I, I didn't know you were just asking for suggestions. I'm not giving like... anyone my address, so no. But <laughs> uh, so just reiterate, 
reiterate Scott Bridget um best place to to send questions. Yeah, I think a mailbag would be a great time to do it on a Friday. Yeah, at at the skate pod on Twitter, skatepod at wei.com email or comment on the YouTube videos on WEI's YouTube page. Awesome. All right, Bridget, Scott, unless you have anything else, this is probably a good time to wrap it up. So thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful work week and we'll talk to you very soon.